Dr. Baliga here. This podcast is on ibrutinib-associated cardiotoxicity, particularly atrial fibrillation. Ibrutinib, an oral irreversible inhibitor of Bretton's tyrosine kinase enzyme, is a major therapeutic option in B-cell malignancies, particularly chronic lymphocytic leukemia, Mandel cell lymphoma and Waldstrom's macroglobulinemia by uh, inhibiting the Bretton's tyrosine kinase enzyme. It limits tissue proliferation of the tumor and bulk progression. Moreover, ibrutinib is considered standard of care for high-risk and older patients. In the US, CLL, chronic lymphocytic leukemia, accounts for about one-third of all leukemias and mainly affects older adults above the age of 65 years with an average age at the time of diagnosis to be around 70 years. Increasingly, ibrutinib is recommended as initial first-line therapy or in patients unsuitable for chemoimmunotherapy. Ibrutinib inhibits B-cell receptor signaling by covalently binding to the cysteine-481 residue within the ATP binding site of Bretton's tyrosine kinase enzyme. Although generally well-tolerated, ibrutinib is reported to be associated with a tenfold increase in the occurrence of atrial fibrillation as well as an increase in hypertension and cases of malignant polymorphic ventricular tachycardia. Interactions between ibrutinib and the PI3 kinase pathway, that is the phosphoinositide 3 kinase pathway, is considered to be the key reason for the development of atrial fibrillation. The Bretton's tyrosine kinase enzyme expression is increased in atrial tissue isolated from patients with atrial fibrillation undergoing cardiac surgery compared to those in sinus rhythm. Electrophysiological studies in vivo mouse models have demonstrated an arrhythmogenic effect of ibrutinib. Experimental mouse data have shown that arrhythmogenic calcium handling disorders in atrial myocytes induced by ibrutinib and an elevated fibrosis of the atria with collagen deposition leading to structural cardiac remodeling. It it has been reported that atrial fibrillation occurs from 4 to 16 percent leading to discontinuation of ibrutinib in up to 56 percent of the patients. A recent meta-analysis of eight pooled ibrutinib randomized control studies confirmed the high incidence of atrial fibrillation, relative risk 4.69, 95% confidence interval 2.17 to 7.64. In addition, hypertension, which is also an important risk factor for atrial fibrillation, was also linked to ibrutinib therapy, relative risk 2.82, 95% confidence interval 1.52 to 5.3, Moreover, increased bleeding rates were identified 
due to antiplatelet effects of ibrutinib in part due to its interaction of Bretton styrosin kinase enzyme with von Willebrand factor adhesion with rising manifestations of subdural hematoma leading to exclusion of associated vitamin K antagonist use in clinical trials. Risk factors that have been identified for the development of atrial fibrillation in patients with B-cell lymphoproliferative disorders includes age over 65 years, previous history of atrial fibrillation and ibrutinib therapy. When compared to other chemotherapeutic or chemoimmunotherapeutic agents used for B-cell malignancies, the risk of atrial fibrillation and atrial flutter in those treated with ibrutinib is increased by almost ninefold. Relative risk 8.81, p-value 0.0003. Typically, CLL, that is chronic lymphocytic leukemia, patients are above the age of 65 years and have multiple comorbidities which may lead to an increased risk of atrial fibrillation. Although cancer malignancy itself may generate atrial fibrillation and thromboembolism, in a study of newly diagnosed chronic lymphocytic leukemia patients, a history of atrial fibrillation was perceived in 6% already at baseline. In patients with chronic lymphocytic leukemia treated with ibrutinib, male gender, older age, valvular heart disease, and hypertension at the time of diagnosis of CLL has been identified as independent risk factors for de novo atrial fibrillation. In one study, which is retrospective of 562 patients with lymphoproliferative disorders treated with ibrutinib, new or worsening hypertension was associated with increased major cardiovascular events, particularly cardiac arrhythmia, hazard ratio 3.18, 95% confidence interval 1.37 to 7.37. In this study, the incidence of hypertension appeared to be increased in patients receiving ibrutinib regardless of development of atrial fibrillation. During a median follow-up of 30 months, nearly 80% of the patients developed new or worsening hypertension and one-third of whom had high-grade hypertension grade 3 or grade 4. The initiation of new antihypertensive therapy was associated with decreased risk of major cardiovascular events, hazard ratio 0.4, 95% confidence interval 0.24 to 0.66. This study by Dickerson et al. titled Hypertension and Incident Cardiovascular Events Following Ibrutinib Initiation was published in the journal Blood 2019, Volume 134, pages 1919 to 1928. The highest incidence of atrial fibrillation has been observed during the first six months of ibrutinib therapy. In one pooled analysis of four randomized clinical trials, including a total of 756 patients treated with ibrutinib, the cumulative incidence of atrial fibrillation was 11.2% after 36 months of follow-up during drug initiation. 
The severity of atrial fibrillation did not necessitate hospitalization in majority of the patients. More than half of the patients who developed atrial fibrillation on ibrutinib therapy experienced only one episode of atrial fibrillation during a median follow-up of three years. The mean duration of these episodes was 12.6 days, standard deviation 29.5. In half of these patients, ibrutinib was continued without dose reduction or interruption of the drug. This was reported by Brown et al. in Hematologica 2017, volume 102, pages 1796 to 1805. In addition, there have also been reports of sudden cardiac death and ventricular arrhythmias, including ventricular tachycardia and ventricular fibrillation, shortly after starting therapy with ibritinib with a median time to event of 65 days with ibritinib initiation. This was reported by Lamson et al. in Blood, 2017 issue, volume 129, pages 2581 to 2584. In, and the article was titled, Ventricular Arrhythmias and Sudden Death in Patients Taking Ibritinib. In addition, the incidence of a hypertension was also increased in patients with lymphoproliferative disorders treated with ibrutinib, and this was reported by Dickerson et al. in Blood 2019, Volume 134, pages 1919-1928. The relative risk of all-grade bleeding has also been reported to be higher than other options used for CLL, small lymphocytic leukemia or mantle cell lymphoma, relative risk 2.93, p-value 0.03. In a systematic review evaluating the incidence of bleeding with ibritinib, the pooled annual incidence of any bleeding and major bleeding was 20.8 per 100 patient years and 2.76 per 100 patient years respectively. In vitro and in vivo studies evaluating the effects of ibritinib on platelet function have reported defects in platelet adhesion and platelet aggregation. However, the role of other cl clinical risk factors associated with bleeding, such as prior anticoagulant and antiplatelet therapy, or malignancy-related thrombocytopenia, need to be evaluated in this context. One recent study in JAK 2019 assessed the World Health Organization's pharmacovigilance global database of over 16 individual case safety reports from over 130 countries and identified 13,500 available ibritinib cases. These investigators used statistical disproportionality analysis to demonstrate that there was a major over-reporting of supraventricular arrhythmias, particularly with atrial fibrillation, as well as of ventricular arrhythmias and fibrillation, but also conduction disorders and heart failure. In addition, there was a high occurrence of central nervous system ischemic events, most likely due to arrhythmogenic thromboembolism, not only extracerebral but also a high intracerebral hemorrhagic bleeding rate was discerned with ibritinib in the WHO database in accordance with the described platelet dysfunction induction. The findings of this analysis of the WHO database was higher than previously reported 
and therefore underrepresented in published reports. Notably, the analysis of the WHO database revealed that multiple cardiovascular side effects of ibrutinib overlap with each other and are coupled with a high mortality 18% in conduction disorders, 18 to 19% in CNS events, 10% in supraventricular, and 10.6% in ventricular arrhythmias, and 21% deaths in heart failure. Although ibrutinib may lead to a significant tumor progression-free survival of 87% at 12 years in older patients. Mortality rates, including sudden death during therapy, were higher than expected in the ibrutinib regimens than in the chemoimmunotherapy arms. Therefore, the net benefit of ibrutinib therapy may be offset by sequential cardiovascular mortality, which will presumably rise further with continuous therapy required to tackle residual disease or relapse. Careful cardiovascular evaluation and EKG monitoring should be considered during ibrutinib therapy because patients may be asymptomatic despite cardiac arrhythmias or developing congestive heart failure. The benefits of serum biomarker follow-up with BNP that is B-type natriuretic peptide has not yet been established. In this current study of the WHO database published in Journal of the American College of Cardiology, 2019, Volume 74, pages 1667 to 1678, the article is titled Cardiovascular Toxicities Associated with Ibrutinib. Conduction disorders mainly develop during the first 30 days, and the time to onset of atrial fibrillation, ventricular arrhythmias, or heart failure peaks at 2 to 3 months whereas hypertension occurred mainly after 4 to 5 months but cardiac adverse events steadily occurred over one year observation since initiation of ibrutinib therapy. It is recommended that ibrutinib therapy is interrupted for any non-hematological toxicity that is grade 3 or greater. Once the symptoms of toxicity have resolved to grade 1 or baseline, Ibrutinib may be re-initiated at the starting dose. Reduction of dose or permanent discontinuation of ibrutinib therapy may be necessary for severe or refractory arrhythmias. To complicate things, ibrutinib interacts with several medications commonly used to manage atrial fibrillation. For example, diltiazem or verapamil, there is a major level of interaction. It increases the plasma level of ibrutinib 6 to 9 fold by inhibiting CYP453A4 uh, enzyme, further potentiating the risk of atrial fibrillation and bleeding. There is a moderate level of interaction with digoxin. Ibrutinib increases the plasma level of digoxin by inhibiting P-glycoprotein. There is a major interaction between ibrutinib therapy and amiodarone or dronedarone in that amiodarone and dronedarone increase the plasma level of ibrutinib by 6 to 9 fold again by inhibiting CYP453A4. There is a major interaction between ibrutinib therapy and the use of factor 10A inhibitors 
like rivaroxaban, apexaban, or redoxaban, there is an increase in the plasma level of factor 10A inhibitors. Ibritinib does this by inhibiting P-glycoprotein. And finally, ibritinib interacts in a major way with direct thrombin inhibitor dabigatran by increasing the plasma level of dabigatran. It does so by inhibiting P-glycoprotein. There are no clinical guidelines for management of ibritinib associated fibrillation. Given that digoxin is a P-glycoprotein substrate that should be, it should be taken at least six hours before or after taking ibritinib to avoid toxic digoxin levels in the plasma. Medications such as amiodarone and calcium channel blockers such as diltiazem and verapamil which inhibit the CYP3A4 enzyme can increase serum concentration of ibritinib and therefore should not be used in first-line therapy. In addition, class 1A antiarrhythmic quinidine and beta blockers carvedilol and nadalol also interact with ibritinib, increasing serum concentrations of the former. Class 1B and class 1C antiarrhythmics are the least likely to cause drug interactions with ibritinib therapy. Beta blockers appear to be well suited for rate control of atrial fibrillation. They could potentially be also useful to prevent ventricular arrhythmias and to control hypertension associated with ibritinib. Patients on ibritinib therapy tend to have higher predictive risk of strokes because of age and associated comorbidities. In one retrospective cohort study of patients with a new diagnosis of cancer and pre-existing atrial fibrillation, the risk of stroke increased 1.4-fold per point increase in the CHADS-2 score and a 1.2-fold per point increase of the CHADS-2 VAS score, p-value was 0.001 and less in both instances. Interestingly, in the multivariable analysis of this population with cancer, only the CHADS-2 score but not the CHADS-2 VAS score was associated with the increased risk of stroke. This was reported by Patel et al. in an article titled Usefulness of CHADS-2 and CHADS-2 VAS score for stroke prediction in patients with cancer and atrial fibrillation in the American Journal of Cardiology 2017, volume 120, pages 2182 to 2186. Therefore, in those patients already on warfarin therapy before starting ibritinib, we have target internationalized normalized ratio levels Warfarin can be continued with adequate monitoring. As discussed earlier, ibritinib can interact with oral anticoagulants such as dabigatran, apexaban, rivoxaban through P-glycoprotein-mediated interactions. However, these interactions have not shown to be clinically significant. The risk-benefit ratio of anticoagulation for stroke prophylaxis should be evaluated on a case-by-case -case basis given the increased risk of bleeding associated with ibritinib use. Once again, ibritinib therapy is not a contraindication for use of direct oral anticoagulants. Although an increased risk of bleeding may present and it may be preferable to use direct oral anticoagulants DOACs, 
for example, apexaban or edoxaban over vitamin K antagonist due to better steering properties. Given the myriad of abnormalities with uh, ibrutinib, including conduction disorders, uh, supraventricular arrhythmias, atrial fibrillation, uh, ventricular tachyarrhythmias, it is best to monitor EKG regularly during the first few months of therapy. Important takeaway is that conduction disorders mainly develop during the first 30 days and the time to onset of atrial fibrillation, ventricular arrhythmias or heart failure peaks at 2 to 3 months whereas hypertension occurs mainly after 4 to 5 months. However, cardiac adverse events steadily occur over one year observation since initiation of therapy.